Hello and welcome to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the Career and Culture podcast. And if you are a forward-thinking, people-centric leader, then you're absolutely in the right place. Through a combination of interview-based episodes as well as solo episodes, I share practical tips on creating happier working environments. What deeply human leadership looks like for me is what I call the five C's. The first one, actually, I talk about clarity of purpose. So having a sense of purpose, both on an individual and on a collective level. So ideally in a leadership team, there being a very clear and shared sense of purpose. Like why is this team here? Why is this organization here? Second is connection, which we've talked about, which is about relationship, quality of relationship. The third is consciousness, which is all about impact in all sorts of ways. So first of all, emotional intelligence and the degree to which leaders understand and can read the room, can manage their own emotions, can are aware of the impact that they're having um, intentionally and unintentionally on others. Then there's creativity, which for me is about kind of creating environments of belief where anything is possible. And finally, care is the fifth C. Whether you are looking to strategically and more proactively manage your career or create a more positive work culture in your organisation, this is definitely the podcast for you. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm your host Aoife O'Brien and my guest today is Kate Jones. We have such an insightful discussion. I honestly could have chatted to Kate for hours. If I could summarise our conversation in two words or sorry three words actually it's relationships and human connection. So we we talk about culture, we talk about the importance of having human workplaces and forming those truly human connections at work rather than having transactional interactions with people just to get the tasks done. We talk about culture change and what we need to put in place in order to have a really good culture change. So having leaders who have the capability to actually make that change and also have that belief in the fact that change is possible but also the belief that human workplaces are really really important. We touch on the concept of busyness and how it has seeped into all aspects of our lives and you know we address those issues. That's something that I could probably talk about for hours to be honest something I'm so so interested in. I really hope you enjoy today's episode. Do feel free to reach out and connect with me. You'll find all of my links on the website happieratwork.ie. Kate, you're so welcome to the Happier at Work podcast. I know we had a fantastic conversation last year and we've been talking about doing this for a while now. So finally, the day has come. I'm really (laughs) thrilled to have you as my guest today on the Happier at Work podcast. Would you like to share a little bit about your background? Let listeners know how you got to where you are today. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me. You're right. It's been it's been a while coming. So uh, my name is Kate Jones. I'm a leadership and life coach and I'm the founder of Neon. Uh, Neon is a coaching company that in the main specializes in working with leaders and helping them create more deeply human organizations. More about that later. I have I founded Neon uh, 11 years ago. In fact, it's 11 years this month. I've been writing a blog post this morning about comparing Neon as an 11 year old business to an 11 year old girl <laughs> with all the characteristics of the sort of preteens. 
into and I'm on a bit of a mission really to change the the world of work um and to make it a more human and more sustainable place to be for people a less brutal place to be for people and also to help more people to live lead and work well so kind of well-being and happiness in your language is a very kind of major part of what I do and a, and a huge passion of mine and also a sort of ongoing quest of mine I guess just as a, a human being in my own right both both in my work and in my life so in terms of how I've got here I spent my, my career has really kind of gone in three chapters so far which have all been about 10 years so with 11 years with me on this is kind of proving to be the longest the longest chapter to date but the first 10 years I actually trained as a social worker and a probation officer straight after leaving university where I'd studied languages and um worked mainly as a probation officer in the criminal justice system in London in community court and prison settings. But that was all about kind of enabling individuals, albeit in a certain kind of setting, to change their behaviour. So I was very much powered by a sense of social justice and very interested in how the relationship between probation officer and client could help an individual navigate a process of behavioural change. And then through a period of a couple of years where I worked in Romania, um, kind of helping the Romanians experiment with the idea of community penalties for juveniles, which led to the establishment of the probation service in Romania, I then changed course and to cut a long story short, joined a management consulting company where I was mainly, I worked for the most part in their public sector um, practice. So from sort of personal change to how do organisations change and leadership development and culture change. And after 10 years of being there, I left in order to set up my own, well, I say in order to set up my own business, it was not that kind of planned and coherent. You know, it'd be nice to say, oh, yes, I've made it all kind of really clear. And this was the plan. And this is what I did. But it happened in a much more organic way than that. Um, so, yeah, and that kind of pretty much brings me up to uh, 2024 and Neon has been going for 11 years and my work has kind of evolved over that time. But there have been some sort of golden threads, both through those 11 years and also through the however many years it's been since I've been actually working. And what have those golden threads been? Like, how would you describe that? I think one of them is definitely a sort of fascination with why people behave in the way that they do and what enables people and organisations to change. So it started off, obviously, in a kind of fascination with why people choose to offend and different types of criminal behaviour and a sense of, you know, what's the what's the most effective way of enabling those individuals to change and from a systemic point of view in terms of prison settings or the kind of probation system and, and community systems, kind of what enables people to, to change what is often a quite, you know, quite extreme way of living and behaving. So a fascination with how people, why people behave in the way they do and what enables them to change the same with, with organisational systems. But then also, what does it mean to be well? You know, what does it mean to sort of navigate this, this, uh, this thing called life in a, in a way that is, that feels that feels okay and ideally I mean the whole neon thing the reason my business is called neon it's a very you know the sort of vibrancy of I mean for me living well is to a large extent about it, it's about living with a capital L it's not about existing it's and it's about living finding a way of living that is my way that I'm choosing not out of habit or expectation or routine or fear 
but I'm choosing actively, proactively because, and it's not, you know, and that goes in terms of life choices, work choices, the kind of the whole gamut of things. So I talk about neon as being around um, helping people to live, lead and work well. And those things for me are very intertwined. You know, you can't, you can't talk about leading without talking about, or how is it that that individual as a leader is living themselves and therefore what of themselves do they bring to their uh, leadership role? How much of ourselves in our work lives do we bring to our organisational life? How much do we choose to bring? How much do we choose or feel that we're forced to leave behind at the door when we come to work? All of that stuff is um, the stuff that I'm kind of very passionate and enthusiastic about. You can tell. <laughs> so we could talk about that all day, I think. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, something that struck me that what you said in the introduction was this idea of it being an ongoing quest. So not just yeah. uh, for organizations, for, but for yourself as well. And I think that's such a nice way to think about it because sometimes we look at people and think they have everything figured out, that they've reached a certain stage or a certain level. But the the more I know or the more I learn, the more I realize this whole thing of life is a journey. And I know some people don't like that term. They don't like to use that word journey mm. or they don't really get it. But I think sometimes we expect to arrive at a destination at some point. But, yeah. but we don't like and maybe not to be too morbid about it. But death is is the kind of guaranteed the des- destination. The only destination. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I'd love to to explore some of these concepts in the idea that it is an ongoing quest and maybe share some of the learnings that you've had. Um, I just want to reiterate some of the golden threads that you shared. And it's about why people behave the way they do. And I think it's such a fascinating thing. And I'd love to understand the links maybe between the criminal behavior and leadership behavior. Maybe there are some links. That's what I wondered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how organizations change. And obviously organizations are made up of people. So that's going to rely very heavily on people and groups of people. And what does well-being mean? Like, what does mm. it mean to to be well? And I think that's that's such a powerful question. And again, maybe pause for thought for anyone who's listening today, because the the word well-being is bandied about so much. But have you given thought to well, what does being well actually mean to me? And what's my quest for being well? I love this idea that living with a capital L, it's not out of habit. It's not out of expectation, routine or fear. And again, pause for thought for anyone who's listening. Is there something that you feel that you're doing because it's expected of you, that you've just got into this habit of doing it, that you're finding yourself in this routine rather than actively making the choice about how you want to live your life? And Mm. I, I love this, Kate, that it is all intertwined. It's the leadership piece. It's the life and how I can bring myself fully to the work that I do and not have to check myself at the door when I come to that office, when I come to that remote workspace, whatever it might be, that mm-hmm. I can show up fully and authentically as myself and be myself and still perform well and, and be in that right place. So do you want to maybe, I mean, we can start with this idea of like, why why people behave the way they do and the links that you've seen throughout your career oh gosh well i mean one of the things is that you a can of worms it? that i've just yeah opened. it's a bit of a can of worms yeah it's kind of where, where to begin um it's certainly in terms of i often used to i often still do joke actually when i when i'm running sessions with groups in particular 
and with you know when they first meet me and um and I am introducing myself and I mention the work that I did in the in the probation service and I will often say the best grounding I had for working in business was working with people in the probation service you know was working with people in the criminal justice system um I mean I know there's actually quite a lot of research about the links between psychopaths and chief execs but um it, I think it was it was more really in terms of I mean obviously what an incredible grounding I had in terms of needing to learning how to establish relationship and relationships that could be a vehicle for change then working with people from all different walks of life um who were engaged in you know different levels of of offending behavior you know some of which I mean some of which was really not very serious at all, all the way through to people who were, in terms of the probation service involvement, kind of on remand in custody for much more serious offences. But I think that's the main thing, really, in terms of what, what I learned. I and mean, it was, it, yeah, it was the most incredible training ground for any kind of relational work. I mean, I would say that all all work is relational, actually, because we're all, no matter what our job is, we are, for the most part, we can't do our work in isolation from every other human being on the planet. Um, I can't think of any, of any, unless you're, I don't know, some sort of holy person on a mountain. I can't imagine that there are any jobs where you're working totally in isolation from other human beings. So that relational kind of component is really key and is absolutely central to the work that I do now, which is predominantly coaching um, and is also central, I think, to uh, well-being in the workplace and what I call human organisations that kind of rather than having transactional cultures where it's kind of, well, I'm going to talk to you or be nice to you or be polite to you or ask you what your how your how your weekend was, because I have something that I need you to do, which I think is often the way cultural models kind of evolve in organizations but is genuinely a, a culture based on relationship where there is a strength with it's a sense of connection between people people actually know each other I mean the number of teams that I work with who really don't know anything about each other really at all there's such a superficial level of connection between people so that kind of building relationship is absolutely central to me to the work that I do and to my belief around some of what constitutes kind of healthy and deeply human organizations in terms of kind of what enables people to change which was actually which was actually your question um i think it's um there's a whole lot of different conditions that needs to um coalesce i think in order for somebody to be able to make a choice to change and for that change to happen and to be sustained over time and that becomes even more complex I guess when you're talking about systems kind of being successful in changing I mean the first thing is there has to be the motivation the actual motivation and the readiness to change in the individual and it's partly why I think my individual coaching work can sometimes feel more rewarding than uh, team coaching work because in an you know with an individual it's simpler you have one individual who's making a commitment and an financial investment in the coaching journey and that usually means that you know they're up for it they're ready they're they're in whereas with a team they know there might be of the 10 12 15 people in the room there might only be i don't know a third of those who are actually ready who believe that there's something that needs to change but then there's a whole kind of set of conditions around the environment and the extent to which an environment is conducive to how many obstacles are standing in the way of a team or individual to to enable them to 
bring about the change that they want so it is it's a it's a process and it's definitely not a linear process you know it's sometimes a question of circling around again and again no it's really interesting and i'd love to come back to this idea of connection and relationships and being more human at work and i think you're totally right there's so many organizations and i've i've been in those organizations i've worked there where it is very a transactional relationship there might Mm. be a social club but you don't really know people on a deeply human level you're not really connecting in a deep way it is more that transactional for me at least it felt that way so what do you think are the keys to building that better connection having those better more deeply human relationships at work well i mean i'm a big believer that it comes down to leadership i mean you know the work that i do is in terms of creating deeply human organizations i don't think leadership can do everything but i think you can't do anything without without the leadership so i think you know leadership is a, an absolutely critical contributor to the creation of cultures and then you also need a set of infrastructure that supports and promotes and embeds and establishes that culture. But without leadership, I think you're 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 nowhere. So, you know, in the first place, you need to have leaders who believe in the necessity and value of relationships, who believe in, you know, Margaret Hefferman um did an amazing TED talk quite a long time ago now about social capital. I've never forgotten this little introduction that she gives where she talks about an experiment that was done with super chickens. And it was basically about trying to breed a a, a kind of a, a type of super chicken that was going to be super productive and lay a kind of, you know, extraordinary number of eggs. I'm probably totally misremembering this 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 story. But what ends up happening That's is that the super, <laughs> the super chickens kill each other. They peck each other to death. Right. Um, and she tells this story as a kind of, a platform for jumping off into talking about, you know, social capital is it should be every organization's unique selling point. You know, the, the kind of network of social connection and a bond of of sorts between people is what enables creativity and innovation and fulfillment and happiness. And as opposed to competition, which is obviously the sort of ch- super chicken experiment thing, where there might be superstars. Um, but really the collective is is missing out. Um, so I think, you know, leaders, having leaders who not only believe in that, who believe in the power and necessity of that, but who are also capable and skilled in developing those relationships themselves is the most important thing in my view. Yeah. And that also means like really small, really little things like investing in time for your team to connect with each other. You know, because we're so obsessed with tasks there's always a massive to-do list of tasks that need to be done delivery delivery and i'm as interested in high performance as anybody the question is how best to do it Mm. and i believe that people who feel more connected with the team and you know those working around them and with their boss and with the people that work for them are more likely to uh, feel inspired and motivated and purposeful and task and therefore deliver tasks than people who are feeling isolated and treated like a machine rather than a human being yeah no arguments from me on that whatsoever Mm. but i i mean i loved everything that you had to say this idea the super chickens i think it's a really great analogy that people will remember you know that it's 
and I'm kind of thinking the pecking order that we talk about and hierarchical and all of that kind of stuff not that I was going to say we need to get rid of that it's not that we need to get rid of that completely but I think flatter organizations are the way forward and lateral moves and people working to their strengths this idea of social capital and how using the relationships that you have internally as a competitive advantage and to me that's again it goes back to this idea of culture that you've mentioned as well and having those leaders that that believe in this in the first place and don't believe in creating this really hyper competitive environment where there's one kind of job opening um, or there's one promotion opportunity and there's five people going for it which means that four people are left disappointed there could be external candidates as well and in which case maybe five people are left disappointed because there is only this one opportunity and you know a story for another day but like I think this whole concept of performance management drives a lot of that as well so the conversations that we have around performance and how it's focused on the past it's not necessarily focused on people's careers where the organization fits in with those careers and how they can best utilize the organization and work to their strengths and have a mutually beneficial relationship where they are progressing in their career and the organization is getting the best of them as well at the same time yeah i mean there's, totally there's, agree yeah. there's so much that we could talk about in relation to that i think but maybe starting at the point where where people are where do you see when you're working with individuals or organizations where do you see that they are and i'm thinking very much from the competitive perspective so is are they working in environments where there's a lot of competition and how do you kind of go about addressing that as a starting point i'm not sure the extent to which competition necessarily features but the silo working thing comes yeah is a sort of is I think probably a feature of pretty much every organization that I've worked with over the last 25, well, how long, how many years it's been, 20, 20 years, 21 years. And I, again, I think the, the the reason, so in other words, you know, people are sort of, even within leadership teams, they're, you know, individual representatives in the leadership team are much more focused on their own particular department or function or program or whatever, depending on what the, the business is. They're much more focused on that than they are in, um, it's almost like they're facing outwards from the circle of the leadership team to face their own um, area of responsibility. And they're not really facing in and seeing the leadership team itself as their number one team. Whereas in reality, you know, really you should be, you're wearing two hats. You'll have a shared response. You have a collective responsibility for the totality of the organization or the business. And you also have an individual responsibility for your particular area of of um, of the organ of organizational responsibility. So that I, that occurs, I would say, 90 percent of the time and is an impediment to performance and is in part well, it's, it's a you know, in systems theory, they talk about um, loyalty within organizational systems. So often individual leaders are most loyal, actually, to their own teams for which they are responsible rather than the senior leadership team itself. And that and that can that can create 
difficulties in terms of um, overall performance because there is a sort of unspoken let's call it a kind of competition of sorts or a kind of I'm just going to look after my swim lane and yeah. do what I can there well then you're competing all- for resources aren't you you're competing for money budget you're competing for time you know and it creates this sort of disconnect maybe between teams and I've had that before in an organization I worked in where we went from being an account manager so managing multiple parts of the account to then three separate teams managing very specific roles within the account management functionality but that caused a lot of competition and well who is the real account manager who owns this client account all of this kind of stuff like putting people into separate buckets i think it just is a recipe for creating that siloed type of work and i was so surprised because i could see in the general marketplace people were moving more towards generalist roles rather than specialist Mm -hmm. roles and and so when our organization made that decision at a global level i just it just really shocked me and frankly did not work at all yeah, it's, it's, I think it is really tricky, isn't it? Because you have to have some kind of structure. And, you know, and often structure is the thing that people move to to change when they when there's a problem. But actually, it's, you know, and structure does have a, a contribution to mindset. It does kind of influence the way in, in which people think and behave. But it is the mindset that needs to be changed sometimes rather than just you know, move the move the deck chairs and then kind of imagine that people are going to start behaving differently. And so, you know, sometimes the, the work that I do with leadership teams is about creating a different sort of mindset, a different sense of relationship, a different sense of like team identity that is more coherent and more cohesive, where there's a stronger you know, a stronger bond and a stronger sense of loyalty and a stronger sense of this is uh you know this is my this is my a team this is my number one team yeah yeah but it takes time you know those things um it's not something that happens as a result of one one magic session where suddenly everybody's kind of you know behaving in a different way unfortunately (laughs) this is it and i think a lot of people want this quick fix approach that they think that they're going to bring someone in and have a box ticking exercise for you know for want of a better word that they bring someone in and everything's going to change overnight really you need to diagnose what the underlying issues are to begin with and like there's a couple of things that i want to pick up on that you mentioned the the first one is this idea that being on the leadership team that your number one team is the other leaders in that team and I think to progress in any sort of organization you need to think strategically about what the business is trying to achieve so you can't just focus on your own function you need to be aware of the impact that you have on those other functions that you need to interact with in order to do your job as well because it is an interdependent relationship so that's the kind of first area i'd love to explore a little bit and then the second is kind of tying back to to what you said earlier about about the people so like if you're working with teams for example as you mentioned earlier maybe there's only a third of those people who who want to make that change or who don't want to make that change whichever Mm -hmm. one it is but Mm -hmm. there's people within that team who don't who don't think that anything needs to change whatsoever so how do you Mm -hmm. address that well in relation to the first one as you were talking about impact basically you know the, the impact of one kind of bit of the organization or the leadership team on another i mean i going back to my sort of definition of deeply the deeply human is a term that i that is that is my term to describe organizations that 
ideally are a force for good on the outside in terms of the work that they do in the world, i.e. purpose beyond profit to some degree. And then also a force for good on the inside in terms of the type of culture that they have, which is treating people like human beings, not like, you know, what's the word, finite commodities. Because, you know, there are so many organisations out there where people are on their knees. I mean, you know, as well as I do, that, you know, the, the levels of stress and burnout are ridiculously high and unsustainable you think mm -hmm. are we just using up our entire workforce across the planet so uh, i have the model of what deeply human leadership looks like for me is what i call the five c's two of which we've talked about already so the first one actually i talk about clarity of purpose so having a sense of purpose both on an individual and on a collective level so ideally in a leadership team there being a very clear and shared sense of purpose like why is this team here why is this organization here but also within that clarity of purpose individual leaders being able to bring that to life on a day-to-day -day basis for their teams because often even in purpose-led organizations you find people are totally disconnected from their sense of purpose which is why they joined in the first place because they're lost in the endless hamster wheel of activity day to day so the clarity mm -hmm. of purpose the second is connection which we've talked about which is about mm -hmm. relationship quality of relationship the third is consciousness which is all about impact in all sorts of ways so first of all emotional intelligence and the degree to which leaders understand and can read the room can manage their own emotions can are aware of the impact that they're having um intentionally and unintentionally on others again both as an individual but also their team or their part of the organization impacting on other parts of the organization and the impact of the organization in the wider world so the whole kind of business as a force for good sort of stuff then there's creativity which for me is about kind of creating environments of belief where anything is possible as opposed to <laughs> cultures where people are just doing loads of stuff without much of a sense of I mean I'm often feeling very disillusioned or demoralized about the extent to which any of it is possible or they're making any progress and finally care is the fifth c first of all self-care so leaders having an imperative really to look after themselves and to know what it is that they need in order to be at their best nobody can lead well when they're fed up frustrated exhausted etc and then care for um the people that work for them with them and ideally also care for those living in the communities in which those organizations kind of operate so so that's really that that sort of model informs all of the work that i do in organizations you know be it with individual leaders or with um or with teams is trying to build leadership capability that contributes to the health of an organization in that way so that was quite a long answer to your question about sort of impact but it's really important because it's kind of you know it's right ugh, it's kind of right at the heart of me in terms of what i believe is needed and what makes the most difference really in terms of you know having organizations where people can really thrive rather yeah, than yeah you know something far worse or far less i think it's um it's a really really nice clear way of describing it as well and i suppose my question on that and maybe it relates to that second part of of what i was wondering about you know when a team is required to change 
yeah. and maybe some of them don't want to make that change but but also slightly related to that is of those five different areas that you mentioned and i'm going to repeat them again for listeners so the clarity of purpose the connection the consciousness creativity and care which one of those areas is there is there maybe a common area that that generally leaders fall down in or does it really depend on the context i suppose i'm i'm looking for is there a link kind of globally speaking of where we as leaders are not meeting expectations or kind of living up to what we should be doing to create this human workplace that's a really good question and tricky question to answer i don't i don't think i don't think that there is I think it varies a lot you know if you were to do a diagnostic within each within you know organizations of different sizes and different geographies in different sectors and industries each each output of that diagnostic would look slightly different I mean in purpose-led organizations so I do quite a lot of work in the humanitarian and charity and international development sector you know they would they would they would mark highly on clarity of purpose, although not necessarily on the aspect of bringing purpose to life day to day, like creating pathways to meaningful work for people. Because again, in, the, in those sectors, people are also feeling just stuck in the churn of a massive to-do list. Yeah. But I would say that they fall down on, um, well, in, again, intentionally or unintentionally, a lot of people feel uncared for feel disconnected and uncared for in their organizational environment they don't fit i mean this i know and you know there's a whole question about you know what enables people to feel happy at work and i in the last year actually i've developed this thing called the neon work thrivometer which is um made up of 10 kind of factors which from from research and reading and experience i think contribute most to to enabling people to to thrive at work and it's quite a long list for people to get right, you know, and it, and, it, and, it, and it also varies from, you know, what you might want from work is kind of different from what I might want from my life at work. Um, but I think having a sense of connection to am I doing something meaningful? Am I do I have a sense of any sort of connection with the people that I work with? You know, do I have some sort of voice in you know the way things are done? Do I have any sort of sense of belonging? Am I doing am I growing or learning at all? Um, you know, these are some of the things that I think really make a difference for people. And that's why I'm, you know, on this mission. To, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like ridiculously, um, what's the word kind of, it's just a huge uh, mission. But I do believe that sort of individual leader by individual leader and individual team by individual team, we can actually make a difference to mm. um, the world of work and how people experience it. Yeah, I 100% agree. And that is it, that it needs to be done one by one and yeah. i suppose that's part of the reason i have this podcast so people can listen they can feel inspired i encourage people to vote with their feet if they're not happy where they are what can they do to change that and do they need to leave that organization or is there something that they can change and then for yeah. leaders who are listening to this to create that better environment for people and have those frameworks that they can think about that they can apply to their own organizations that they can connect with people who have come on the podcast 
and they can find out more about what they do as well as finding out you know and, and me sharing more about what what it is I do to help organizations as well Kate something that comes up a lot on the podcast and I you've mentioned it a couple of times in our conversation and I want to drill into it a little bit more and get your perspective and that's this idea that people are stuck in the churn of tasks and mm. I think so many people listening today will will relate to that Mm-hmm. And th- again, this is a can of worms question, but I-, I can't think of any other way to ask it other than what's your perspective on that? Like, what can we do? Well, I think it's it's not only an organisational thing, first of all. It's not only a, a symptom of organisational life. I think it's a symptom of life generally. I think, you know, we are we, we're living in a time where there's a sort of epidemic of doing. We're sort of obsessed with things that we have to do in and out of work, you know, there's never enough time to do all the things we want to do or have to do. And, you know, obviously in organisational life, it's kind of amplified a sort of thousandfold. I personally enjoy being busy, but busy, I mean, not like unsustainably working 14 hour days kind of every day and feeling completely exhausted every time I wake up in the morning. And what's even worse on top of that, having no sense of doing anything valuable or making any progress. I can think of one client organization that I'm working with at the moment where that is their reality. You know, they're working as a leadership team, working flat out 14 hours a day. And it, they've been working at that sort of capacity, kind of almost in crisis mode for as long as I've been working with them, which is a year. And, you know, I just think, my goodness, I, I mean, on a performance level it doesn't really seem to make any sense I'm not sure they're making they can't making that much progress but on a human basis it's kind of like but I think that you know the 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 act of stopping the doing pausing the doing and taking moments to think about to question and to think about you know am I doing the right thing kind of is is really an incredibly courageous act because everything around us is telling us that, you know, doing stuff is equals successful, equals happy, equals doing, living well, you know. That whole kind of thing between being and doing, that, uh, you know, distinction between, you know, what does it mean to, what does it mean to be happy? Does being happy mean having ticked off your to-do list, even if, so what, you know, doesn't, you're still feeling the same at the end of that to-do list or does being happy mean stepping away from the sort of hamster wheel of doing and finding to some degree or another and finding a different way of engaging with with life and work you know and I I mean I part of the reason I stepped away from my corporate consulting career was because it felt relentless um, and I, I didn't feel in control of it it felt that it was it was knackering. It was, there was never a moment where it didn't feel like there was ever a moment where there was a pause. There was always something extra that was being demanded of me. And, you know, the, the big, I wanted to, part of the change that I wanted to make in that, in that transition was, uh, well, uh, what has definitely emerged over 11 years. I mean, I'm not suggesting that, goodness gracious, it's an ongoing quest for me in terms of finding the right balance between doing and being, you know, and partly because there's such pressure no, people want, how are you? I'm really busy. How are you? Mm-hmm. I, well, you know, sometimes I say that and it's almost like an unintentional badge of honour. Oh, I'm really busy. That, yeah. that means I'm being, pro- what does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah. It just means that you're doing <laughs> loads I'm, of stuff. 
Kate, it means you're so super important and you don't have exactly. time for anyone else. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I'm so, yeah. so important. I'm so important. But I think, I mean, what you're saying absolutely resonates with me and I think it will resonate with a lot of people. And, you know, one thing that, that when I still worked in corporate, one thing that we used to complain about was that we didn't have time for thinking. There was no time for thinking. Yeah. But I think then then you're in victim mode if you're saying well, I don't have time to do this I don't have time to think about what needs to be done it's like no you need to decide that you are taking that time take out an hour of your week and think really think what needs to be done what's going to move the dial on the objectives I have for myself the objectives the team has the objectives the department or the organization has whatever level you're looking at and really mm. think about what needs to be done and I think that's where we need to to make that break and say, you know, stop saying I don't have time. If you take that hour, you might find your time freeing up because you realize yeah. that you're not working on the right things. Or like I when I'm talking about productivity, I always like to talk about quality and time. So what's yeah. the quality that is required on this <laughs> and what's the time investment that's required? And I haven't read his book yet, but I'm very aware of it. And I saw my list to read this year is Get Things Done by um, and his name just escapes me now, David. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes anyway, but his name has just gone out of my head. But he has this whole methodology called Get Things Done. And I saw him on a LinkedIn live last year. And the one thing that I took from that video was what does done look like? Mm. Oh, my God. Mm. I'm getting goosebumps even thinking yeah. about it now. Yeah. What does done look like? Does anyone know? What, you know, do you clearly define when your work is done and what that done actually looks like? And I think people don't. And so you no. get to a stage and you're like, oh, well, I can make that fancier or I can spend a bit of extra time on that. Or if you're a perfectionist, a recovering perfectionist, I like to call myself, you know, <laughs> you might spend extra time putting the bells and whistles on something that doesn't really require it. I actually feel quite moved by that. You know, you think on a, on a human level, millions or billions of people living their lives kind of with a sense that their work is not done. And not yeah. even being able to define when it will be done. Exactly. I mean, work in the broadest sense, you know, yeah. when have but I done enough? this is what causes the hamster wheel, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. And that sort of, you know, the, the pressure and the expectation, the sense of constantly, no, no, I'm not good enough until I've done this, until I've got the next promotion, until yeah. until I've, you know, whatever it, whatever it might be. And that's you know, because some of the work that I do is also life coaching, which is, you know, really often there's a massive crossover, but life coaching is obviously paid for by the individual rather than by the organization. And it's not necessarily got any, well, hasn't got anything to do with leadership. But often the people that find their way to me are people who are wanting to tackle that sort of question, you know, people for probably I call it in a sort of early midlife. So sort of from mid to late 30s through to 50s. Um, ish who are beginning to question like is this is this really the way that I is this all there to... is is it really is this, worth it? Is, is, it? Is, is this how I want to spend my time yeah <laughs> I think we yeah. all get to that stage we all get to that stage at some point and you start kind of questioning what is it that I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis and you know I was going to say there's lots of solutions out there but really it's it's about introspection and having someone to guide you through that introspection, I think is, is really powerful as well. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of it is to do. I mean, I imagine that you you've been through something similar. I definitely went through something similar, which led me to kind of you know set up my own business. But there's a there's an ongoing thing for me about you know what what does what does it mean to be successful? Right, redefining success and there's a yeah. sort of traditional model of success, which is which has got a lot to do with money and status and yeah. busyness and yes. and fame, uh, position, and, you know, fame, fame and recognition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but if you start to redefine it in terms of fulfillment, in terms of quality of relationship, in terms of um, self-expression, I'm talking about for myself really, in terms of some of the things that, in terms of freedom, in terms of adventure, in terms of you know, I don't know, there's all kinds of different ways of defining success, which um, which are not mainstream um, and which can feel very hard to move towards. But that's definitely quite a lot of the work that that I do with individuals who are wanting, beginning to want something different for themselves. Yeah, yeah. I love that. So, Kate, we've yeah. come to the end of the podcast today. Um, the question I ask everyone: What does being happier at work mean to you? Well, being happier, there's kind of what it means for me personally, and what it means for people generally. I think um, for me personally, it's definitely got something to do with. Um, making a difference so being able to do something that has uh, meaning and purpose in it is a massive thing um and autonomy for me uh, having having a sense of freedom and choice and agency in what i do and, and how i how i do it and something that balances draws on my head so my mind and my heart and my soul or my spirit like you know something that engages as much of me as possible is what I I mean it's I don't know how that sounds really but that's my honest answer I think that's what it, it means for me I think in terms of what it means for more generally I think it's um it is quite a big philosophical question and one of the things that I've come to realize in the work that I do that I have a fundamental kind of belief I think it's something like on average it's 80,000 hours that we spend at work so it's like you're gonna spend that you know in our in our in an average career if you're gonna spend yeah. that amount of time at work then how about making it an enjoyable time yeah. or a fulfilling time um or an impactful time or a you know a, a time where you learn stuff I just can't bear the idea that people just kind of get through their days in order to, you know, get the money and, and go and go home. But I'm also conscious that, A, it's a very privileged perspective, for one. Not everybody has the choice. For some people, just having a job that pays the bills is is great and enough. But also, you know, I've been in sessions where I've asked that question and people have sort of looked at me as if to say, what are you talking about, like? I don't need a sense of like my purpose is to get the paycheck so that I can go home and look after my family. Mm. Um, so all the rest of it, the stuff that I talk about in terms of growth and flexibility and recognition and autonomy and connection and all these things that sit on my thrivometer. You know, I would love for people to have access to those things such that they can really be themselves and have a fulfilling, impactful life in their organization or in their organizational life because I assume that people kind of move don't stay in one place anymore um, and I also recognize and respect that that is not the case for everybody and for some people having a job 
you know, that enables them to pay the bills might be sufficient. Brilliant. Love that. Very comprehensive answer as well, Kate. Thank you. <laughs> and if people want to find out more about what you do, if they want to reach out to connect, what's the best way they can do that? So definitely take a look at my website, which is www.deeplyneon.com. But then probably the best in terms of social media, the best place is LinkedIn. So Kate Jones, Neon, um, you will find me. And there, there's also the, my link tree, which I think I might have first discovered through you, Aoife. So I think you oh, use really? Linktree. I have a link tree. I do. Yeah. 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 It's fabulous. And so there you can find, yeah, kind of summaries of my leadership work, my life coaching work, my blog, because uh, I write quite frequently uh, on my blog uh, about my upcoming retreats. I'm running a well-being and forest bathing retreat on the 19th to 21st of April, just outside London and various kind of resources that you can track down. So if you if you track, down, track me down on LinkedIn, you will find the link tree and can find links to everything. And I love, always love to hear from people. The link tree will guide you to my mailing list if you're interested in hearing from me. And um, finally on Instagram, I, I am neon underscore living, which is, um, I don't talk about my leadership stuff really on there. It's mainly on the kind of life side of things you also get more of a sense of me yeah yeah <laughs> wearing silly hats I'm, and <laughs> I'm like that on Instagram as well it's a bit more behind the scenes yeah stuff, exactly a bit more um I was going to say a bit more honest on authentic I try and be honest and authentic on LinkedIn as much as I can but like there is that additional and this is what what's really happened or this is what's going on behind the scenes um aspect to Instagram that I really enjoy as well Kate, exactly. it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Thank podcast. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much for your time. And I can't wait to share this episode with listeners. Thank you, Aoife. Have a lovely day. That was another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in today. And I really hope today's episode resonated with you. If you did enjoy today's episode, I'd love for you to take a couple of minutes or even a couple of seconds to leave a rating or a review on your favorite podcast platform. It really does mean the world to me. As always, if you want to connect with me, you'll find all of my links on the website happieratwork.ie. 